Hello, my name is Russell Parsons, the editor of Marketing Week, and welcome to our second careers podcast. This monthly slice of inspiration shines a light on all things personal and professional development. Uh, You'll be glad to know that I won't be doing this alone. Each month we gather experts and go out and about in search of inspiration, advice and edification that will help you become a better marketer, manager, leader and even person. So forget the daily outrage provoked by the current occupier of the White House, the back and forth over Brexit, and sit back and enjoy this collection of golden nuggets you're about to hear. Uh, later you're going to hear from the next generation of marketing leaders, this year's Marketing Academy Scholars, who, in a reverse mentoring exercise, will give their thoughts on what the future leaders of tomorrow expect from the leaders of today, and indeed, what the leaders of tomorrow will look like. But first, it is my great pleasure to welcome back to the pod the dynamic marketing duo, Helen Tupper and Sarah Ellis. A reminder of their credentials, Helen Tupper is a marketing director at Microsoft and Sarah is head of marketing strategy at Sainsbury's. And if that wasn't enough, they also somehow find time to run Amazing If, a career development and training business whose clients include Direct Line, Barclays and Virgin. Welcome back, both. Hello. Hello. Uh, our kickoff topic for today is Teams. Specifically, creating a culture that creates a sense of purpose, agility, and innovation. We all get to tackle and have to tackle managing resource in terms of time and money. Uh, it's not easy, but it is quantifiable. Uh, but leading teams is another thing altogether. Uh, we hear a lot about the need to embrace change in, in the world of modern marketing that's moving so uh, quickly. But how can you ready yourself and your team? Firstly, it's that valuable commodity that we hear a lot about. It's uh, not necessarily a tangible one, but flexibility. Uh, Sarah, how at Sainsbury's and beyond in terms of your work at Amazing If, how would you advise people to be flexible? It seems like the you know the, the utopian vision for all teams, but how do you actually build that into daily life? I think, uh, so Sainsbury's have actually been on a really big journey on flexibility in the last two years. Okay. Um, and I think there are things that an individual can do and a leader can do and the organisation can do to enable that flexibility. So I think if we start with kind of the individual and, and you as a leader, I think flexibility is very different to everybody. It mm. means something very different to everyone. So if you try and uh, put a very specific framework around what flexible is, whether that's flexible working, whether that's where you work or how you work, I think that's very difficult because it is it is yeah. for some people it's about actually you know the environment you're working in for some people it's about hours for some people it's just about knowing if I want to work from home I can do that and that's that's a good thing to do and so I think trying to put any very specific parameters um, in place for your team is not necessarily the right approach I think it's more about saying you need to decide as an individual what flexibility means to you and then as a leader you need to embrace that flexibility right. so that actually it works for everyone I've got people in my team who don't want to work from home because they maybe not got the space at home or the right technology and so they don't want to be forced to work from home mm. and I've got other people who actually if they can leave once a week at half four to collect their kids from nursery that makes a massive difference so I don't think it's about having to do everything in a universally uh, sort of similar way it's more about you as a leader accepting people all have their own needs and I think the other thing you can do as a leader is role model mm. I think it's really important that if you're saying we're working in a flexible culture I want you to just for me it's all about outputs and outcomes and the quality of your work if you're then not role modeling that if you're not sort of sharing maybe what flexibility means to you in a very open and transparent way there's there's a bit of a believability disconnect there I think it's okay saying it but I think you actually have to do it as mm. well 
And then I think from an organisation perspective, it's how do you create um, the right environment, but also things like the right technology. Mm. So I think technology plays a really big part in flexibility. If you don't have the right tools, um, you know, the right tech, things can be accessed really easily wherever, whenever you're giving people the right equipment you're actually putting barriers in place to people being able to work flexibly. Mm. And that's something the Sainsbury's have invested a lot in over the last couple of years. So making sure everyone has the right tech and actually making sure that even the workspace feels mm. conducive to flexible working. So not all sitting at a desk every day. No one in Sainsbury's now has a desk. We all have lockers. And then there's loads of spaces which are just appropriate for the sort of work you want to do. So quiet spaces if you just want to sit and really get your head down, pods, high tables if you want to work with three or four people all at once and if you want to go and sit at a desk that's absolutely fine you can still do that um, and lots of kind of cafe areas so again creating the environment that feels dynamic and flexible I think then really encourages people to embrace it and mm. um, work in a different way. Yeah, um, Helen um, I think it, I'm sure you wouldn't uh, uh, disagree with the notion of yeah. having a rule book for flexibility it seems like a bit of a contradiction in terms but um, just picking up on what Sarah was saying there about uh, workspace, and I, I, I find it personally a very fascinating area. Um, you work for a, you know, a tech giant. Yeah. So I'm, I'm imagining it's all you know, beanbags and table football. <laughs> There, there are beanbags and there is a table football. Well, I, mean, I think it's, a really, it's obviously a really burgeoning, growing area, yeah. of, uh, and there's, there's um, uh, lots of uh, consultation and, and interest around this this idea of creating a, a conducive workspace. Yeah. Um, but in terms of creating a, a flexible and, and happier environment to express ideas within the team structure, um, what would you say the workspace? Uh, what role does a workspace have in that? I think it has a really a really important part to play. Again, with Sarah, I think part of flexibility is it's not just your place of work; it's mm. also your place at home. So I think, and that looks different for different people. You'd expect Microsoft to do this well because of the technology that we have. But I actually think the good thing about what Microsoft do is a lot of that's available to other people. So, for example, I was working from home yesterday. Um, four of my team that I was on a call with were in the office, and various other people were on the phone, and we were all on the same meeting on Skype and what was really good was in the meeting room with the people that were in the office they had a video screen so I could see that flip between them every time that they talked and it was that's just seen as just the way we work at Microsoft so whether yeah. you're it doesn't matter if you're in five people in five locations and it's just not questioned because we're, we're set up to enable that but actually other that's other businesses can put that in place that's not particularly expensive technology that's skype for business and i think it's just using that and accepting that as a norm oh. and not saying well can everyone get in for this meeting please because uh, there's just an understanding that you can do your best work in the place that's best for you oh. and we don't predetermine that that's a room with beanbags um uh, that could be wherever it is wherever you're kind of most most at your uh, most productive oh. I would say that I think some meetings are better in person. So when I bring my team together for um, a session where I know I want them to all build on each other's ideas and visualize things a bit more, then I will encourage people to be in one room and I'll try to have a room with lots of wall space so that we can create ideas together. I do find that that's better in person because people seem to build on each other's ideas a bit better in that mm -hmm. environment. Um, but by and large, I think, yes, the place you're doing things is important. There are certain technologies that can enable that to be to be better. But I think it's more about you being in the place that's right for you. Mm. And if that means five people are in different places, as long as you've got some kind of solution that 
whether it's a conference call or Skype or video conferencing, as long as you've got that in place, I still think you can be a really effective team with it. I'd just build on two points of caution though from what Sarah was saying. I think with flexibility, there are uh, two things that you should think about as an individual in a business. The first is consistency and the second is communication. Mm. But I think there needs to be consistency between a leader and an organisation. So let's say an organisation has a, let's be really flexible, all work where you want, when you want, just bring your best selves to work kind of message. But then a leader is doing something contrary to that, where that particular leader is saying, actually this team needs to be in all the time and we need to all be together i think that can cause a bit of a conflict and i've seen it mm. where the organization's got to say one thing but actually the behaviors of the leader are driving a different behavior and that's difficult and i think there needs to be some feedback mechanisms where that can be managed or it undermines what the organization is trying to do mm. and i think training for leaders so they know what that looks like mm. the other thing i think is having something around communication so everybody embracing flexibility means exactly what sarah said about people doing that in their own way so maybe i'll choose to work and i do choose to work i choose to go in the office at 7 30 because i'm early and i leave at five for my little boy mm. um, and i work from home two days a week other people do something quite different if you don't communicate what flexibility means to you, other people might think, oh, Helen's not in the office very much, or gosh, Helen goes at five o'clock, she's not very committed, or whatever those impressions might be. So I think it's important that if you are doing certain things so that you can work best and embracing flexibility, that you should not apologise for it, but communicate it with your colleagues mm. so that they understand what you're doing. Mm. I think if you can get the consistency between the organisation and the leadership and the communication between the people that are embracing it, I think it works really well. Mm. I think, well, uh, making sure that every, both the organisation and the leader and everybody's on the same page. Mm. I mean, there is that uh, sense, I, it's perhaps, it sounds very different in your respective organisations, but certainly where I've grown up uh, as an employer, that is, if you're not in the office, mm. you're not necessarily working, you know, if you're yeah. out in meetings or you're leaving early, yeah. you're not doing some work at home, etc. Um, not the impression, but almost like a self-reflection. Maybe I'm talking about me more than anybody else. Yeah. Like, I think it's that idea of like presenteeism, isn't yeah, it? And yeah. I don't think uh, I think it's important to say because there will be a lot of people listening to this thinking my organisation doesn't sound like Sainsbury's mm. or Microsoft. And for Sainsbury's, I would say this is a relatively new transition. And I think in lots of organisations, mm. they're still going through this transition. So. I don't think this will be, I think there will still be lots of people thinking, well, I feel like I do have to go in and work a certain amount of hours and need, and seem to be very visible because organisations are all on a curve of adopting this. I think everyone will go this way because I think actually things like cost pressures, this can be a more cost effective way mm -hmm. of working for an organisation. So I think it has some business benefits um, and I think it has individual benefits. So I think, I don't think the business case for this is hard to make, but I do think it does take time and you have to learn as you go and for some organisations it is a really big cultural shift mm. so it's not to underestimate how big a change this can be for both actually sometimes individuals and for the organisation sometimes as well don't make assumptions about um, who will embrace this I think just people assume sometimes oh you know everyone in their 20s just wants super flexible working mm. um, and my observation is that's not always the case actually uh, you know when I think about some of the people that I work with it's nothing to do with age or gender, it is very much a personal thing. Some people who are you know, in their 20s absolutely love coming into the office every day because actually that suits their lifestyle better, they like to be surrounded by lots of other people, they don't want to be sitting at home working by themselves, that's, that's not their 
that's not their choice. And again, this is the point around you shouldn't impose this on people. Mm. But I think don't feel disheartened. If you're sitting in an organisation thinking, that sounds, I have no beanbags <laughs> and um, I don't have the right technology yet, um, don't feel discouraged. But think about what you could do to start to kind of take some small steps to help your yeah. organisation see the opportunity. Because I think you can, you can do this yourself. You could go and talk about, well, should we try doing some Skype? Should we try doing a Skype meeting? You could talk about, should we learn a bit about agile working mm. and what that really means? So you can still very much take accountability for trying some of this stuff yourself and helping to prove to the organisation this works. But yeah, don't panic if you haven't got a football table. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a very caricatured uh, impression that I have. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Silicon Valley life. I uh, have so, never used a <laughs> It seems to me that uh, yeah, the old edge is that decisions are made by those who turn up for us. Decisions are made by those who log in wherever they are <laughs> in terms of well if you again th- if think about it in terms of creating a, a culture um this time in terms of learning um mm. how again i suspect there's no you know there's no bullet pointed rule book here but um you know what, what can what can uh, teams and, and, and managers and leaders of teams how can they create a culture of learning or continuous development in the team um you know because people you know show up they do their job they go home and, and often that, that is efficient, but not necessarily mm-hmm. ultimately effective long term. Or in terms of learning and, and that culture, what, what can people do? So I think um, one of the first things you can do is understand what's beneficial for the team. I think there's a difference between what uh, the team needs to learn together uh, and what the individual can learn. And I don't think you have to keep those completely distinct. I actually think it's really beneficial for individuals who are learning something to share it back with the team. Yeah. But it might not be the best thing for the team to learn. So for example, I have some people in my team who are currently looking at mindfulness. I have someone who's individually looking at confidence. I have yeah. someone who's looking at presentation skills. That's all great. And I actually think it's good for the team to know that so that they can support it and maybe if they've, if they've read something they can share it back and those individuals can can share their learnings so I think it's good to have a culture where you can share that I have a weekly email that I send to my team where I put what I'm learning in so I write a weekly blog post of something that sparked my thinking so I try to model the behavior of always being work in progress and no matter what level you're at you can always be learning new things so I think the first thing is, as a leader, model the behaviour of being working progress and learning. Support your team with their individual things that they're learning and try to get them to share that. And then I would say come up with some cross-team platforms and do that as a team. Like don't, as a leader, say, I think we all need to learn about storytelling <laughs> because then you're sort of imposing something. I think it's, it's better if you talk about what would make us really impactful for a team, what would bring us together, what gaps have we got, and surface those ideas of the team and try to bring in varied ways of learning. So in previous teams, I've done Skillshare courses, which are completely free, um, and every week, they've lasted about eight weeks, every week for, say, 45 minutes, I've got my team in a room and we've watched the videos on Skillshare, and then we've had a conversation for the last 15 minutes about what, what could we do. Sometimes I've got somebody in to teach us about pitching and presenting. So there are more expensive solutions, I would mm. say, about getting external people in to help do team training, but there are actually quite a lot of cheaper things, Skillshare, Coursera, even all of you reading the same book and coming back and talking about what are the impacts of this book? What would we do differently? I think there are lots of ways, once you've identified what that thing is that would 
maybe make the team more effective or bring the team together what you might do differently as a result of that it's I think it's more the conversation mm. that the team has that's the most valuable part of the learning and not necessarily the attending a course or, or reading a book I think it's the dialogue between the individuals that's the most impactful piece yeah, yeah. I think uh, one of the things that gets really underestimated is is on the job learning mm. I think people as you sort of described at the start of that question can it's easy to turn up do your job you're really busy and go home at the end of the day and you've spent zero time reflecting on how well am I doing that job mm. uh, how well did that meeting go what, what went really well today how could I improve tomorrow have I asked for any feedback uh, so one of the things I really try to do myself and encourage the team to do is yes all of these kind of individual learning shots of inspiration are really helpful and you definitely need those but how do you just have this continuous improvement mindset and mentality so that actually all of the time you're thinking about getting that little bit better so and not forgetting the things you've done really well mm. so even and to me that's not about doing big 360 feedback from lots mm. of different people twice a year or your one annual review a year when you then is the one time everybody asks for feedback it's actually about coming out of a meeting and just saying to somebody it doesn't have to be your manager it can just be someone you know really well you trust to give you feedback um what do you think i did well in that meeting and what's one thing you think I could do to improve it next time? Or ask about something you're working on. If you're working on your gravitas or your presentation skills, say to someone, oh yeah, I'm working on trying to be more concise in my presentations. How did you think I got on in that you know, 15 minute team meeting? Mm-hmm. Is there anything you think I could do differently? So you're gathering very small bite-sized bits of evidence to just continually help you improve. And you can do that by writing those things down and you mm-hmm. can just do it. In, in your mind, you can just you can be on the tube or on the train or on your commute and just think, oh, actually, if I was doing that podcast recording again, mm. one thing I would just try to do differently is X, and just start to store up that information. And I think if you do that all of the time, it just becomes a habit. And mm. that's what I would really try and encourage people to do: is can you create a learning habit in what you do every day, rather than suddenly remembering, oh, I've not asked anyone for any feedback for four months. Mm. Um, I, I like the idea of. Um of it becoming a, a, a habit, it's something that I try to uh, do is just like kind of incremental small changes. Oh, yeah. I don't know if you've done that differently. I remember that, I'll do that differently next time. Um, I have pages and pages of notes, so it becomes a bit, uh, stick to beat myself. <laughs> <laughs> That's an issue I'll have to. Uh, you should capture the good stuff as well as the uh, things for improvement. <laughs> I'm, I'm self intervention all the time with me. Um, in terms of uh, structure, I mean, is there an optimum structure? We uh, write a lot about you know, the, the, the marketing team uh, of the future and how it should structure it. I'm not talking about whether or not you should have a generalism uh, or a specialism, specialist teams. Um, you know, is there, um, is there a way to kind of manage yourself in terms of lines of reporting that allows all of this to foster? Um, are we talking matrix or hierarchical? I mean, just wondered what you, your thoughts on were on the, some of the latest thinking in that particular um, I, you know, I've read quite a lot about things like holacracy and so the, the concept of... That, that was uh, new to me. Okay, so <laughs> it's the idea of basically not having management structures. Um, okay, it seems right. to be a bit bigger in the US than in the UK. You'll get in, hold hands and... Yeah, you all work in pods and you can work in multiple okay, pods right. and there isn't a hierarchy and there isn't a management structure. There's some quite interesting articles on it. Um, I'm not sure that... It, I think I can't quite see how it... Well, it's really interesting to read about, but it, that is a very significant change for organisations to go through. I'm not sure how much structures 
get in the way or support it. I really think this is about individuals and mm. um, people demonstrating the change and sharing things. Um, I have a team, kind of eight direct reports. I've had bigger teams, I've had smaller teams, and actually I've done similar things and I feel like I've brought the team together around a learning agenda, regardless of has it been a UK team, has it been an international team, small team, large team, because it's something that as a leader I'm very passionate about and I really believe in. So actually setting a learning agenda is something that's quite authentic to me. and the structure that I have been in hasn't really affected that. And if I've needed to create meetings or learning agendas or whatever it is, I've put those in place, even if they weren't there. So I, I haven't been limited by the structure. I have been enabled by the culture. Oh, okay. So I've worked at you know places like Virgin. I work for Microsoft. Microsoft are huge on growth mindset. Mm. Virgin is huge on flexibility and people bringing them full selves to work. And I think actually that cultural uh, enabler has been far more important than size of teams and structures and are you all in one office or not from, from my perspective. Yeah. I guess slightly differently to Helen, uh, I have tried Holacracy with the charity that I run and the mm. volunteers. Um, so it's a, a charity that I run with a group of about 15 volunteers mm. and we spent some time learning about Holacracy and then decided to try it because, uh, you know, I, A, I love a management fad um, and secondly, I was, just, I was just really interested to see how it works. And if you are interested in reading more about it, there's a company in the US called Zappos and Zappos okay. are the real sort of proponents of Holacracy, no structure, everybody working pods, um, it's not about hierarchy, everybody's equal, so there's loads of free stuff you can read online about yeah. it. What we found, and we do work in pods and we and we work very successfully in pods um, in the charity that I'm part of, is what it's brilliant is it gives people a lot of accountability, mm. um, so everybody feels like they are enabled mm. to make decisions very quickly, mm. that you don't have to then check in on that decision with three other people. You can get on and do what you want to do and you can set an agenda for the pods that you're in. What we have found is that you still need to have some structure in place for when um, things have gone wrong or you need to escalate something or you're at a point where you can't make a decision. So what I found really interesting is we sort of went very kind of wholeheartedly into it as just sort of saying let's have zero structure, we'll all work in pods, which worked to a point but then I got feedback from the volunteers back to me to say but sometimes we still need you, Sarah, to sort some stuff out. Um, you still need to sort out where we can't get to an agreement on something or something has gone wrong. That that almost that ability to then have a leader who is still overseeing everything feels like it's still quite important. Was my that was my personal experience. Mm. So we have, we still work in pods. Eighteen months on, uh, those pods work really well. You self-select which pod you want to go mm. into, um, and then you drive those pods. You don't. There's no decision-making hierarchies. But there is a sense that if something isn't working, there is somebody, which is me, fortunately or unfortunately, who will help to kind of resolve that and sort that out. But I would um, agree with Helen around hierarchy. I think um, you can set yourself up for matrix working. You can be quite a hierarchical organisation, but actually as long as you have uh, leaders who I think are modelling the right behaviours and there's not lots of process in place in terms of getting things signed off um, and... You know, if you're trying to get something out the door very quickly, if mm. you have to go through three levels of hierarchy, that is going to make you less agile. Mm. So for me, a lot of it is about how do you 
set the right structures in place so that people can make decisions and actually how do you support those decisions regardless of the outcome sometimes yeah. so if you're going to give people more freedom sometimes somebody in your team or someone somewhere might make a decision where ultimately in hindsight you all learn that perhaps you would have done something slightly differently mm. and at times people default to well that's because it wasn't shared mm. we didn't share it enough or it wasn't signed off at the right places and then you end up with over governance and too much process because people are so worried about well if I go off and make this decision and it's not right mm. I'm not going to get backed in this you know you've got to back me up so that's the one thing I always say to my team is mm. You run your areas, you're really accountable. I will help and support, share with me what you want to, but ultimately I will always back you. Doesn't mean that we might not talk about how we might do things differently, but I would never then expose that individual to them ever feeling like they'd failed or if they'd taken a risk, that was a bad thing. So it's a really fine balance between encouraging people to take risks and work quickly in an agile way, but how do you do that in um, a calculated, considered and thoughtful way? It's all about judgment. It's about having great judgment, I think. So, uh, flatter but not entirely flat. Yeah, so it's a kind of potentially a bit of a cop out. <laughs> but um, but I find it really interesting and I think it's becoming flatter. Yeah. A bit like we were talking about that trend to flexibility, it's not yeah. a kind of overnight switch. I think hierarchies will become flatter and flatter over time as some of these things change around workplace environment flexibility. Um, it will be more about having very clear roles and responsibilities, I think. And we did some research a while ago for Amazing If about people who love their jobs and what, what that job looks like. And one of the things that really stuck with me was that um, kind of actually millennial generation, who will be the majority of the workforce by 2025, they, they care more about who they work with than who they work for. And I think when you've got a whole generation with that kind of mindset, yeah. the, the hierarchy, becomes far less valued by that generation. It's much more about the that they would embrace this kind of pod working because the mixture of people and the dynamics of the groups that they're working with is more important than just the cult of a leader, for example, which I think is something that you know, previous generations have just been more part of that hierarchical mm. structure. That's really interesting, actually, about the, 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 the importance of working with as opposed to for. Yeah. Um, another podcast, perhaps, for... Thanks, guys. Now for a, an outside broadcast. Our roving reporter, Rachel G, went on to one of the several boot camps the Marketing Academy puts its scholars through each year. The scholars are the Helen and Sarahs of tomorrow, the captains of industry, and yes, future leaders. Uh, we caught up with them to get their thoughts on what leadership will look, look like tomorrow and what it should look like now. So I'm here with scholars at the Marketing Academy's Bootcamp, where the focus today has been on leadership and vision. Uh, hi, so I'm Kirsten Halley and I'm Head of Brand at Rivita. Hi, my name is Bijan Gavinji. I'm a Senior Digital and Social Media Strategist at Ogilvy. I'm Claire Canty. I'm an Account Manager at Weetabix. I'm Veronica Dmitrovsko. I'm Marketing Manager um, at Adobe. And so I guess the first question I wanted to ask you guys is what is it that future leaders can teach current leaders and top marketers? I think that the restlessness that I see amongst a lot of us future leaders is actually a really powerful thing that current leaders can learn from. I think a lot of our desire to constantly get better, learn more about ourselves and continuously progress I think that curiosity is really important, whatever level you are at in an organisation. And the longer that you can stay uncomfortable and to be constantly learning, I think is a really powerful thing. I'm quite interested in the idea of um, blending or balancing work and life. And I think what I see and what I try to do is bring my 
passions in my personal life into work and I think that's something that current leaders could uh, notice more and are starting to notice more in terms of how do we make sure that our companies and our teams are really true to to their passions in and outside of work when they're in a working environment. How do you kind of make that balance? I guess it's finding ways to bring in personality and culture into a corporate business. So whether it's being really, really clear on what the values and the culture of a company are and being really selective in your hiring so that you end up with people who are who fit those values and who feel like they're coming into work for a place that is true to them and aligned with with them and how they see work and culture and their their purpose within that organization i think um building on um business point is i think something that we're becoming increasingly aware of is what i call the ripple effect we can have as future leaders at our level and I think it's really interesting looking at the people who are actually running businesses um, and having conversations to be aware of actually how they act as people in both work-life balance and then just actually style behaviours, everything right at that very top level, how much that influences the entire business underneath them and can really actually set the course of change in different directions. And whilst I know that that's something that people will be aware of, I think um, coming to occasions like this where you have the chance to discuss it and really put it high up on your sort of conscious agenda really makes you aware of it and how you can do the best for kind of you and your whole business. And so what attributes do you think should be important to future leaders? I think one thing that's really come to the forefront for me on this programme is the importance of responsibility in that your whole life is not dictated by what happens to you, but it's how you choose to react, respond and move forward from that event. That's the most powerful thing in your life and you have responsibility to write what happens in your life and with that you have the responsibility to build the right culture for everybody in your organisation, for everybody around you. You have a responsibility to find out what unique thing motivates that person to bring the best out of them. And whenever there's something that's not going quite right or somebody that's not quite performing, if as a leader you can always take a responsibility to look at yourself first and think about what can I do differently or how can I get the best out of that person, I think that's a really powerful thing to have. For me it's curiosity. I think we are, um, well, future leaders have a responsibility and an opportunity to be really curious and just ask a lot of questions. And um, one of the the quotes that uh, someone mentioned to us in the bootcamp today was around observing the masses and what everyone else does and just do the opposite. And I think sometimes there is a, a place for that. And we, especially in the larger corporations, um, there's a lot of legacy systems and processes and maybe they're not right and I'm personally quite interested in that the agency model and and my role is a weird hybrid of strategy and creative and I, I kind of sometimes think if we was to if you were to start an agency now would it be set around those pillars or would it just be totally different yeah definitely and I guess looking at these attributes or these skills how do you think your current skills differ to current leaders yeah, I don't think we have anything particularly different. I think the thing that we do have is access. If you look at someone who was, you know, uh, becoming a leader 20 years ago, they wouldn't have, you know, podcasts every day by Simon Sinek or, or, or wouldn't be able to, you know, uh, whoever it is. They don't, they don't have the access to 
understanding what it is that makes great leaders tick and how they got there and what mistakes they made and how they dealt with that and how they reflect on their journey. And I think we, um, obviously for various reasons, are able to get into their heads a little bit more. Um, and I think if we can harness that and actually make an effort to understand that and implement some of that, then that's a big advantage we might have over people um, generations before us. Yeah, completely. I think it's um, I think it's the advantage of access, and then also the advantage of you know time and being able to learn from those people, because business and brands and agencies and all of our world in its current guise has only really existed for you know fifty odd years so actually the people who were leading those businesses at the early stages of that didn't really have the benefit of everything that we do um, they just kind of had to figure it out and, and learn from themselves and I think we have the opportunity to learn from all their mistakes all their successes all the learning all the stuff that's written down we get great opportunities to speak to them through things like this as Biz says and then as a generation of future leaders we have access to more information than the world's ever had and I think actually the responsibility sits with us to go I don't think we might be better as individuals than the people who are current leaders, but over the next 5, 10, 15 years, we have access to everything that could possibly set you up for as much success as possible. Um, and I think that's something really exciting and something that should really inspire us as a generation of leaders to, to continue to improve and to continue to do it even better. So perhaps more pressure. More pressure, I think, a little bit. I think also... I think more fun too. The, the quite exciting thing is I think there's more of a... Um, an openness and an understanding within companies now that great ideas can come from anywhere yes. and any level and there is it's it's more accepted for someone who maybe has a junior position to come up with something fantastic and for that to be embraced and implemented and for that person to then get that recognition or or springboard or whatever because of because of the spark that they've had so I think that's quite exciting we have access to to this uh, sort of kind of trainings and it's it's marketing academy it's one of them but there are also a, a lot of other trainings that w we get to do because we are part or we come from companies that um, they do invest in people and they want to see them succeed and I don't know if in the past maybe like 10 or 20 years ago you would have that many people involved uh, uh, supported by companies to uh, develop their their careers and uh, develop themselves only in the marketing team that I work with we are about 30 40 people here in EMEA I know at least three right now that are doing MBAs and are paid and by the companies entirely so I don't know if that was the case 20 years ago it might have been but I, I doubt yeah so you've got a lot more a lot more options and opportunities opportunity, yeah. yeah opportunity to, to develop and that that helps because you, you take a course like this and as Claire said you have like a shortcut you've you've learned in one year what you would have learned probably in five years yeah thank you for all your help some really great insights you're welcome thank you no problem thanks rachel that was great stuff uh, for more content on personal and professional development there's a wealth of it on marketingweek.com uh, you can find out more about the marketing academy scholarship scheme on uh, their website which i believe uh, you two can uh, confirm is marketingacademy.org.uk that's right yeah. Yeah. yes where you'll find a lot uh, more on on uh, next year's scholarship scheme so thanks everybody for listening. Um, it's been fantastic. Until uh, next time, we'll uh, we'll see you then. Goodbye.